0: I was working three jobs and barely making 50,000 in a year. And it was at that point that I saw I could harness my ability to teach. I could harness my ability to connect with an audience, just like I used to connect with my students and, you know, be myself and I could grow my business that way.
1: Jessica Terzakis was a high school English teacher when she discovered she had all the expertise she needed to become a successful coaching program creator. Shortly after she left the education system, she was thrown into the spotlight, literally. She had to give a presentation to 300 entrepreneurs and pitch her services from the stage. The result surpassed even her own wildest expectations.
0: I sold 50K in 50 minutes. If you didn't know my story, you would say, wow, she's just lucky or it just happened for her. And I would say, you know, I studied in teaching. I taught for six years. I hired a bunch of coaches. You know, you can't look at someone's successful points and be like, wow, like it's just overnight. In this interview, I asked Jessica what it really took to
1: go from English teacher to six figure entrepreneur so that you can do the same. Listen to her best tips to create your next coaching program the right way, which also happens to be the fastest way. Jessica was the winner of last season's contest to be interviewed on the podcast today. Here's a big shout out to all the applicants. You were all amazing. Never give up putting your name in the rank because you could be next. We had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but if you are a teacher who wants to start her own business, you will want to check out our full conversation where Jessica shares with us why she became a teacher in the first place and the tough decision of leaving her students as she embarked on a new entrepreneurial adventure. I'll just tell you, there were tears. You can check out our full conversation inside our uncut vault by going to theglobalphenomenon.com/uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're grading papers, you have my utmost respect and don't forget to take a quick break to go to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice it really helps support the show and thanks this episode is for all of you entrepreneurial teachers out there here's my interview with the teacher at heart jessica terzakis to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Hello, everybody. Today, we have the amazing Jessica Terzakis. Jessica, you are a winner. I am so glad that you're here.
0: Oh, my gosh. I'm so, so, so excited. It's still two days after I saw the email. I'm still floating. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Oh, and I, I couldn't believe it. You and I actually met in the past couple of weeks to do an Instagram Live. And when I was reviewing the applications, I didn't look at the names. And when I read your story, I thought it was so amazing, but I didn't make the connection that when I chose you as the winner and I saw your name, I'm like, Oh my God, that was Jessica. So (laughs) I am super happy that you won. It was fair and square. And I'm really happy to get to interview you because you really have an incredible story. And there are so many people out there. I need them to hear this from you. So why don't we start by you introducing yourself a little bit. What is it that you do right now and who do you do it for?
0: So I help coaches, consultants, speakers, authors, basically anyone who is using their experience and expertise that's in their head, and they are trying to monetize it. And I help them do that through group coaching programs. And I show them how to fill those programs with eight to 10 clients in three months or less, totally avoiding any complicated strategies like Facebook ads or funnels or anything like that. So I really try to make it the easiest entry point for people who are trying to scale their businesses.
1: I love it. And you know, I help people get clients too. And I feel like we're going to have the same mind there. And I really want for everybody to walk away knowing exactly how do you start that business, right? It's not through trying to become a celebrity in YouTube. It's not through trying to get your reels to go viral. Like there's an actual technique to building an actual business with what's in your head. So we're going to get there. But first, I really like to talk about where. Successful people come from, right? You have really inspired me. And I'm really hoping that everybody who's listening, if you have a teacher in your life, if like my sister needs to listen to this episode, I'm just outing it right now. If you have a teacher in your life, somebody who works in the educational system, that person is a very, very special individual. And I know this because when I speak to family members who are in education, it's all about the kids. And they tell you like, I'm not in this job for the money. I'm in this job for the kids. If I were in this job for the money, I'd be doing something else. That's not a reason to be a teacher. So I would love to hear, first of all, where did your vocation come from? How did you end up becoming a teacher and what kind of teacher were you? Yeah,
0: it's funny. I wasn't that kid who would play teacher as a kid, right? I think we all would like play with our dolls and our stuffed animals and stuff, but I actually didn't start out wanting to be a teacher. I had aspirations of, I worked in high school, I worked at a salon and I loved business. And so my intention was to go into business. That's what I started out studying in college. And then I fell in love with my English class. I fell in love with my teacher. I feel like at that point, I really learned how to read and write. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So my parents basically said to me, well, we're not going to pay for that fancy education in Washington, D.C. It's time to come home to a different college. And so I ended up pursuing the English teaching major at my college with the intention of teaching high school. I just need you to tell me
1: if you had a particular teacher who really put this bug in your oh, head. Oh, oh. Because um, I mean, I mean, nobody wakes up one day saying teaching.
0: Yes. And I want to know where this really came from. Dig deep. <sighs> if I had to dig deep, you know, when I think of that teacher in college, she actually sat with me and taught me the skill of how to write. And this sounds kind of silly, but I grew up as a military kid, so I went from school to school, and the assumption always was from a bunch of my teachers, oh, well, you already learned that, right? Your, your other teacher last year taught you how to do that. And I feel like for the first time, you know, and I went to my professor and said, I am struggling with this. She really sat down, and she wasn't like, you know, well, go figure it out, or you should know this, you know, that kind of dismissive assumption She really sat down and showed me. And I just remember sitting in her office, meeting with her periodically throughout the semester. And I remember her to this day. Like I I remember her name and I wrote her a letter actually a while ago telling her, you have no idea what you did for me, right? She sent me on this really amazing career. So yes, she had such an amazing impact on my life because she just had patience and really cared about my success. And I think that uh, I'll always remember that.
1: What was it about that? Or was it really soon after that you decided that I want to do that for other people? What was the actual process of thinking maybe that's what I should be doing?
0: I think for me, it was this bridge of writing papers and reading used to be really difficult for me. Like writing those analytical essays used to be difficult. And I think when she taught me, this is how you do it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually fun. And so I could see you could totally change someone's trajectory professionally in school, their passion for a particular subject by just being willing to sit down with them and be patient. And I thought, what an amazing impact that would be to have that kind of ripple effect. You know, a student could come into your class and literally hate math or English or whatever. And if you break down, this is how you do it, the light bulb goes off. And things become so much easier. And you just never know like what passion you could spark. You just love writing. You love reading.
1: You want to make this your life. I would love to hear what it was like to now incorporate this whole world that is to teach in a high
0: school. How did that go? (laughs) I'm laughing because it was very, very difficult. I mean, you and I could just do a podcast alone on my first year of teaching. But I think the big disconnect for me was when I was in college, I had the understanding that I was going to walk into my classroom and all of my students were going to love English. They were all going to be so excited to read and they would just absolutely savor every homework assignment that I gave them. And that is absolutely not true. So I think every English teacher has this dream of like, I'm going to teach my honors students and I'm going to have these beautiful essays to grade. That's not true. I mean, that's just not how it is. The vast majority of students are not in quote unquote honors or accelerated classes. And so I had to learn. One, I entered the classroom when I was 23. I would get stopped all the time because other faculty and administration would think I was a student, but I was, yep. Do you have a pass? (laughs) So basically, I had to learn really quickly how to situate myself as an authority figure when I was 23, sort of still figuring out who I was. And now all of a sudden, I had a roster of 100 students ranging from ages 15 to 17. And I just remember this insight from one of my professors that I did in my master's degree. and He said, do not show fear. Do not show fear. They will smell it. And so I had to learn. It's less about me sitting up on stage, being this expert in literature and having my students just copiously take notes. And instead, I had to figure out how am I going to get the kid who hates reading to actually do the assignment, engage with me and get along with me at the same time. So to say that first year was bumpy is an understatement. But I learned so much about who I was. I learned so much about how to motivate people. And really, it's funny, Ina, I tell people now, like it was my crash course in sales. Really, it was my crash course in sales. Tell me how. Well, I had classes of students who were like, I hate English. I haven't read a book since elementary school. So I had to figure out, okay, how can I take this book that was written in the 30s, like of mice and men? A lot of you listening probably know that classic. So I was teaching a lot of the old stuff. So I was like, okay, so how do I take this book? Package it in a way that is interesting and intriguing and describe it in a way that's going to motivate them to actually follow through on the assignments. And so it was sales. It was like, I need you to do this assignment. I have to figure out how to motivate you and inspire you to do it. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. So yeah, it was a great lesson in sales. Is there a particular kid that you still remember to this day? Yes. I do. I mean, geez, when you said that, at least five students popped up in my head.
1: Do you have a story from any of them that you feel has been formative
0: for you? Yes. So I worked in a school district that was largely, you know, middle class, it was not an urban, it was suburbia. Um, largely, you know, white population. So I would say there wasn't the issues surrounding like racial tensions or severe poverty. Uh, But there was a lot of challenges with blended families, parents who had to work a lot. So kids were often left, you know, on their own. I'm giving like a very broad description here. It certainly doesn't characterize every single student in the school, but I can think of one student who uh, just came from a really difficult home situation and as a result, acted out all the time, had significant behavior problems, behavior problems where his parents told him that he couldn't go to a party. So he was so angry that he kicked the wall and broke his toe, right? Like that kind of anger. And I remember because I was patient because I was seen as like the nice teacher, he had failed his freshman English and needed that credit to graduate. And you can imagine, like, if you don't pass freshman English, it snowballs quickly from there. You get really far behind. So the principal approached me and said, you know, we've got the student. It's really important that he gets this credit. You know, would you be willing to take him on as like a special case during your free period? I was a little nervous when I heard the stories. I was like, oh, my God. So I just remember, you know, what did the professor do that worked so well for me? Well, she sat down. She was patient with me. She really tried to meet me where I was and not have that expectation of like, well, you should know this, or you should be able to do this. And I didn't talk to him in a way that was admonishing or, you know, I didn't try to situate myself as like, I'm the authority and you're the student. And I really had to develop this. Let's work together on this. Let's develop a relationship and work together. And I want you to succeed. And I remember we created a calendar with a plan of what he was going to do. And here's what was really formative about this. I think in the past, he had just been given assignments, didn't do them. And then before he knew it, he had like five essays that were missing. And so it felt larger than life. And I remember breaking things down for him. And I printed this very rudimentary calendar at Microsoft Word. I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do each week. These are the small assignments you are going to do. And when he started seeing little milestones of success, like, oh, I did that. Awesome. Like, I actually did well. I didn't fail or I was able to understand that. I think that built the confidence because I think a lot of times students are angry or frustrated because they don't understand something and they don't want to feel stupid. Right. So when you can have them build up confidence and understand what they're doing and see like, wow, I tried this. I made an attempt. and I didn't fail or look stupid. I think I can do this. I feel like that was so formative and it has informed, you know, the way that I teach and the way that I work as a business owner.
1: I think that is incredible because I don't think that is an issue that is limited to just kids. I think those are the things that we go through as kids that stay with us in adulthood. So when we have clients, we also have to deal with what their previous expectations had been with their experiences in previous programs, with their experiences with different coaches. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I always tell every single client that I start working with, listen, regardless of whether you did the homework for the week or not, we always meet because I'm going to tell you right now, this is something that is going to happen, that you're going to feel like you fell behind. And you're going to send me a message saying, maybe we should cancel this week's meeting and I'll have more time to do the homework and our time will be better worth it. And I tell them from day one, you will have the impulse to want to do that. And I'm not going to let you. We are going to meet every single time. If you didn't do the homework, there's always something else that we can advance on. And that's one way that I have incorporated these things, right? The history that clients bring into our programs. I wonder if you've had situations, having gone through this with kids, I wonder how it translated to your work with clients and what are some little safety measures that you use to make sure that everybody kind of stays on track, if that makes
0: sense. It does. This is a great question. So I think for me, I operate very similarly, where first of all, I create the expectation that this isn't like being back in school, even though I'm a teacher, this isn't like, you know, you get letter grades, because I do think that people will come into your one-on-one or maybe it's a group and feel like, oh no, I'm behind. That means I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. Then that means that I can't necessarily keep up. And that's a reflection on me and my business. Do you see how it spirals? Right. And so one thing that I started doing was, cause I have most of my clients in my groups, I started doing these like catch up or study halls where I would say like, all right, you know, this is what you should have been doing, but you know what, like it's in the way, if you're a little bit behind, why don't you show up to this session where we'll do a catch up and I'll see like where you are and what I can do to help you get caught up. Mm -hmm. And I found that that was really helpful because bed clients were like, oh, thank goodness, because you know, this and this happened. And now I feel like I can actually do this. And I think that's what you're going to see in your own coaching is clients will sort of retreat when they fall behind. And so Mm -hmm. do you have that safety net? And the other thing that I do is I put together a calendar of, you know, if I'm working with clients in a three month program, I'll say, here's a suggested way week by week of how you can go through this program, how much time you want to commit to assignments, what videos or materials you want to access in the portal. Because I think a lot of times when you put someone in a program, you think, well, they're an adult, Mm -hmm. so they should be able to figure it out. right? Right. But, you know, your program is not the same as somebody else's. And so when I think you break things down for them in that way, they're like, oh. I could
1: do this. This feels actually very doable. I would love to know what was that jump like for you? How did you go from being a high school teacher to joining your mother's practice of all things, right? Your mother who's out there kicking butt and taking names in business. Had you been eyeing that opportunity for a while? Was she the one pitching you
0: for years? Like what was that transition like? I think my goal at the time was not to become an entrepreneur. My goal was, you know what, let me hit what's called tenure. Let me get five years in, right? Because that's one of the big benchmarks for teachers is let me get tenure so that I'm not on a year by year contract. And then let me reevaluate my situation. I kind of made that very clear to my friends and family. I was like, let me do this for five years. Fifth year comes and I had this itch. I wouldn't say it was for entrepreneurship. I just knew like, I was ambitious, but I didn't want to be a principal. That's usually the pathway for teachers is like, oh, you don't want to be in the classroom? Pursue administration. I was like, well, I don't want to do that. don't want to be a principal. I don't want to go get another degree, right? Because that's what you have to do. So I think I made the bold decision to not sign my contract. And I just need to do anything. I can't imagine going back another year And and truly, at the time, it was financially motivated, Ina. Like, to be totally transparent, I was like, I'm only making $42,000 as a teacher. I've got two other jobs. and still not even making 50K. It's going to take me eight more years just on a teacher salary alone to get to 50K. I was like, this is just not financially viable. I was very, very limited. So that was really what inspired me to leave. I cried the day I talked to HR because I was very conflicted. And I ended up doing odd and end things here and there. So I was like, well, I don't have a plan. I just know I can't go back. And so I left in June and by December, I had joined my mom's business, which is now what we do together. Oddly enough, that was not the intention. But when I look back on it, she had been feeding me for a year and a half. She's like, oh, you know, I've got this really great business and it's so fun and I can like do whatever I want. I could be wherever I want. I meet with clients and I'm not stressed out. That was a huge thing for me at the time. And so when I look back on it, I was like, oh subliminally telling me, join the business. And at the time I didn't connect with it until I was like, I don't know what other options I have. And she was like, well, you just join me already. Let's just do this.
1: I want to know about that time when you were on stage and that day, because of what you were talking about and the pitch you were making, your company made $50,000 in a single day. That was a part of your story that just made me go, what? I want to know how soon after you joined your mother's practice that happened and what was going on? What is this? What were you doing?
0: Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories, too. It was a pivotal moment, I think, in the, the path of our business. So I joined the business in late 2016. Really, I would say I kicked it into gear in the spring of 2017, where I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to do things one or two hours a week. Like, I'm really going to commit to doing this full time. And it was in November 2019. So about two and a half years later, that I got on that stage in front of, I think it was 300 or so entrepreneurs, speakers, authors, you know, coaches. And I spoke for 50 minutes from stage, made a paid offer, and closed 50000 in 50 minutes. So that's the quick way to answer your question. That's what was going on. Okay. First of all, what did you think was going to happen?
1: What were you selling up there? And when you got up there, what were your expectations?
0: This is a fun story. I like telling this one. So I felt like because I had taught I saw speaking as a viable way for me to get in front of lots of my ideal clients. I was like, I have no fear of getting in front of people. Speaking is such a powerful way. It it uses a lot of my teaching skills. So I was on a lot of stages up until that point, usually just making free offers, like book a call with me, download my freebie. And then I made the jump after seeing one of my business friends the previous year on stage at the same event at the same time slot. And I was like, you know, I think I'm ready for that. Like I didn't see myself in 2018 as a main stage speaker, as someone who could be up there for an hour and and hold an audience's attention. But after seeing her, I was like, well, we kind of entered business at the same time. I think I could do this. And so when I signed up and said, you know what, here's my intention. I'm going to put my name in. I'm going to put my deposit down for November, 2019 for this 50 minute speaking slot at this three-day event.
1: Which event is it, if I can ask you?
0: Yeah, if any of you are familiar, Suzanne Evans is a business coach, and she teaches, you know, speaking, how to sell from stage, how to be a keynote speaker. And so it's her like she does it every November. And I was like, you know, I I think I'm ready for the big time. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stretch myself. And I was terrified, like from December 2018 to October 2019. I worked and worked and worked on this. And I'll be honest with you, I have two big fears. One that I was going to get up on stage and I was going to forget everything. And two, that by the time I made the pitch, nobody was going to get up. And I was going to look like a complete idiot. Right. And more importantly, I had the pressure on me because we had invested in this. I'd worked with coaches. I had, you know, put money down for the sponsorship. Like I had a lot riding on this and I was feeling that pressure of like, well, if nobody gets up, I'm just going to go in the hotel room, lock myself in there and cry for like a day, right? (laughs) I'm just going to stop being an entrepreneur altogether. And I remember talking with Suzanne directly and I said, well, what if nobody gets up? And she said, here's the thing. And I've taken this lesson and I want to share this with all of you because it's grounded me whenever I get super emotional about something that's going to come up. And she said, well, listen, the investment you made in this, hypothetically, if you don't make it back, is that going to ruin your business? Is that going to put you on the streets? Is that going to jeopardize the business as a whole? And I said, no, it's going to sting if it doesn't work, but we're not going to have to declare bankruptcy or anything crazy like that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And she said, okay, so be nervous because it's something new. But this isn't the end-all be-all. You're going to live after this. The business will survive. And so that perspective really took the pressure off. And I was like, you know what? I was selling a course creation school, my flagship three-month program. I was selling that at nine ninety seven. I was like, you know what? Out of 300 people, if I can get 20 people to sign up for this, I'll be good. Right? That was really my expectation. I was like, let me just get 20 people and I will be the happiest girl ever. So I get up there deliver the talk. You know, once I get past the first two slides, I'm like, I was in the groove. And when I made the pitch, the lights were so bright that I couldn't see, you know, at an in-person event, what you do is you make the pitch. And then basically people go to the back of the room with their form and say like, I'm in. And someone at the back is usually collecting forms for you. Obviously that's different now with virtual. But I got off stage and I was swarmed, you know, I was swarmed. I was surrounded by people and I couldn't believe it. It was almost unbelievable, like an out-of-body experience because when I went up to the person and said, okay, so how many signed up? And, and they said and 50, 50 ah. people signed up. There's a really great picture that I have where I, I have my hands up, uh, you know, around my face because I just was overcome with joy because as I said to you earlier, I was working three jobs and barely making 50,000 in a year. And it was at that point that I saw I could harness my ability to teach. I could harness my ability to connect with an audience, just like I used to connect with my students and, you know, be myself and I could grow my business that way. And so it was just, it solidified for me that speaking is such an easy way to connect with your ideal client and speaking can look so different, right? It doesn't have to be on a stage like I did, but I love it. It's my favorite strategy.
1: I think that is amazing. I'm here like feeling all the feels with you. And because I'm keeping an eye on the time and I could go on for another hour, but I would be remiss if I didn't take advantage of your brain right now to tell our audience, because your thing is group coaching programs. (laughs) We we never got there organically. So I'm just going to like jam it into the conversation and say, we're switching gears to talk about group coaching programs because I always tell my people, you start with one-on-one, perfect your method, make sure that you're getting results so that you can scale it. Sometimes you will confuse the words growth and scale and they use them interchangeably and they're not the same. You scale something that works as when you go into group coaching programs and you have made that your thing. Can you just tell me why was group coaching programs a thing that you zeroed in and said, this is what
0: coaching should be doing? Yeah, really quickly, I started out in 2017 and 2018 helping coaches and consultants with online course development because that was huge at the time. And I thought that, you know, well, that's what's out there. That's what I'll help people create. I realized really quickly that online courses are a very sophisticated strategy for business owners that require for it to be profitable. You need a budget for ads, a budget for tech, a team to help you. You need to pre record everything. It's a lot of pressure. And I was realizing behind the scenes, That a few things were happening. One, people would never get it done. Their online course was on that forever to-do list. Or two, they were launching it to very lackluster results. And I thought, you know, there's gotta be a better way that doesn't involve so much pressure and so much reliance on technology and putting yourself in front of thousands of people. So I relied on what I know, which is interactive teaching. That I come from the classroom. So I said, how can we replicate this? Or create an in-between from one-to-one income to the online course world. And so I used to tell people, just teach it as a beta, right? Teach it to a small group, teach it live a few times, and then you could translate it. As I started consulting people on that, I started seeing how powerful small groups are. I started seeing how transformative that interactive teaching was. And in many ways, I sort of all but left behind my online course development program or consulting package, because I was like, "Ah, I love this group coaching. It's so easy to put together. You listen to Enid, you just take your one-on-one, you structure it in a group, and then you just bring in eight to 10 clients. That is so much easier than trying to find like 50 or 75 people for an online course or more, right? I didn't know it was group coaching or people called it group coaching until maybe a year and a half ago. I called it my in-between. I didn't have a fancy name for it. I was just like, do this instead. It's like, there's something else that you should do.
1: So just do that. Just do yeah. that thing. <laughs> Would you be able to give us just three quick tips? If somebody is listening right now and they have already done maybe a few one-on-one sessions and they're listening to you and they're like, well, yeah, actually that sounds a lot better to go in between, to just go for a group coaching program before I think about my online course. And by the way, if you guys didn't get that tip, I am putting it in black and white for you before you go and create an online course. Really do this group coaching experience first. So if you were to give like three quick tips to everyone, what Mm -hmm.
0: would they be? The first is your one-on-one process can absolutely be turned into a group. Look at all of your clients, even if you've worked with three and see what are the consistent concepts or steps that I'm taking these clients through, write those down. That is the beginning of your group program structure or the concept that you're going to teach. The second is, chances are, if you have been working with one-on-one clients, you've had multiple sales conversations. And there may have been people who may have said, I think you'd be great, but maybe no, not right now. Let's revisit another time. If you go back into your calendar and you write down the names of all those people who said, no, not yet, like they wanted to work with you, but couldn't, those could be leads that you could fill a group with. Yeah. Right. And then the third tip is keep the text simple. You do not need to make this fancy. You do not need to go out and pay a monthly subscription for a portal at the beginning. Yeah. You do not need video editing. I've had some people say like, well, should I hire a videographer? Not at the beginning. So I usually just use zoom, a private Facebook group and like Google drive or like Microsoft Word. Like you could keep this so, so, so easy. Mm-hmm. Don't, Make it complicated. So, those are the three tips I would give. Thank you so much for including that. So, let me ask you Mm -hmm. what is the
1: biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful
0: businesswoman? I think using that example from the stage where I sold 50K in 50 minutes, if you didn't know my story, you would say, wow, like she's just lucky, or it just happened for her, or it was you know, she's young and she, she's just able to do anything. And I would say, you know, I studied in teaching, I taught for six years, I hired a bunch of coaches. And so, you know, you can't look at someone's successful points and be like, wow, like it's just overnight or they were able to do this so easily. There was a lot of work that went into it. And so when people say that to me, like, oh, must be lucky. It's like, well, there's a lot of hard work that went into it. And a lot of times where I looked like an absolute idiot talking before I really mastered it. So that's what I would say. So
1: that's great, by the way, and that's pretty much been a very common answer of millionaire coaches that I'm interviewing all the time. And they say, the biggest misconception is that people think this happened overnight, that we just got lucky, that we just have a spark that nobody else does. Like, no, there was a lot of hard work. So if you're listening to this and you are working really hard, it will pay off for you. You will be at that point and you'll be the one telling everybody else, you guys, do you have any idea what I have to go through to get here? That's going to be you. So if everybody who's listening had to do one thing, in the next 24 hours to get their businesses off the ground and get things going, what would you say that one thing needs to be?
0: Oh, this is a good one. I would say the first thing you need to do to really get your business off the ground is start developing relationships. And these relationships can be with people who are referral sources. These could be people who serve the same client, but offer a different or complimentary service It has been one of the fastest ways that I have found clients and grown my business. And so don't feel like just because it sounds elementary that you have to do something more sophisticated. So start finding people who serve the same client, start developing a friendship and relationship with them, and it will pay off in dividends in terms of growing your business really quickly.
1: I love it. Thank you so much, Jessica. And I have so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for being so generous with your stories. And because I really feel like your story is going to change so many lives out there. And I am so proud and so happy to have had you in today's episode. Thank you. Thank you. This is just so fun. Hey there. Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering how you can launch your next group program in the next three months. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the next companion episode where I will teach you three things that Jessica Terzakis is doing very right in her business and that you might want to start doing right now. And if you're an entrepreneur and you'd like to send us your tip of the day for a chance to get featured on a future companion episode of this podcast, make sure to go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash tip. Very easy, right? theglobalphenomenon.com slash tip to request the full instructions. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.